I was the last man standing. I am the man, and the man feels no pressure. You are facing a fuel-injected suicide machine. Fear from the man that rules the world. I am the man. When I walk, the ground shakes. I am the master. And welcome to another episode of The Vicious Circle. Uh, I'm Rob, but uh, this is the gentleman you're more interested in talking to. This is Sid. How you doing, Sid? Hey, Rob. How's it going today? Good. Are you ready for another episode? I'm ready for another episode. I'm a little hoarse, <laughs> but I'm ready for it. That's good. How have you been um, since the last time we talked? Just busy, man. Of course, with the, with the temperature change, I've gotten a little bit of uh, uh, infection in my chest, and that's what I've had a cold for the last couple of weeks, but... Other than that, pretty good. Yeah, because you look like you're on the mend now. You're, yeah. Yes, excellent. Well, we're going to jump in because we got up to the move to WCW, right? Now, who's booking WCW at that point? When I first go there? Yeah. Um, Eddie Gilbert and pretty much Eddie Gilbert. Then there were helpers, you know, like Kevin Sullivan. and uh, But mostly Eddie Gilbert, and I think, was the booker at the time. Yeah. And what was the reason you went to WCW? It was, it was Eddie, wasn't it? Right. What happened was I'd just gotten back from Japan. And um, I, let me think for a second. Just got back from Japan. And I'd gone to TVs at Memphis Wrestling. And they had given me a, just a little bit of a guarantee. I can't remember if it was $50 a night or $75 a night. <clears throat> and so... What had happened, Eddie had come through town in WCW. When I got back from Japan, it was the first time I made any money. And I didn't even have a phone at the time. And so um, when we get back from Japan, Eddie comes through town with WCW. He's A guy named Ken Wayne goes up there to try to get a job. Eddie says, man, I can't get you a job, but I'm looking for Sid. Well, instead of Ken calling telling me about it, he goes to Lawler and them say, hey, man, let's talk to Eddie. They're fixing to hire him. So he go, they quit my guarantee. And so when I went to TV to get the my check, my money wasn't there. And I thought, I asked them what happened. And they said, uh, uh, we just can't afford to pay it anymore. And again, just coming back from Japan, I had started making a little money. I didn't need these guys anymore. But um, the Japanese company had asked me, <clears throat> try to keep a territory working because that way we can send a photographers in and take pictures of you. That was the only thing I was worried about. So... I gave my notice, went home. I was really depressed. I did that. I was thinking, oh, God, what a knucklehead. Because I already told the Japanese company they were mad at me. And I was thinking, oh, God. And I was told I was fixed to take over for Brody. I had a heck of a spot there, you know. And really what happened, Eddie was looking for me. And that's what really caused that. So I go up my father-in-law's car lot. He says, um, man, some guy named Eddie Gilbert's been calling you. Of course, I, I said I didn't have a phone. So I used his office phone and called. And he goes, hey, Sid. It's Eddie. He went, hey, Eddie. He goes, uh, you want to go to trial with WCW? I went, God, yeah, man. <laughs> so he flew me into Atlanta. God, I'll tell you what, I'll never forget that day. It was like, I'm not kidding. I don't know how to think about it. And uh, I had my match, did my little deal. And uh, he said, man, you got a job. I was like, wow, man. Well, that was actually my next question. What was it like walking in there that first time? Well, you got to realize right now, I had been in the wrestling business maybe about a year, a little over a year, and 
you know, I walk into the lobby. You got, you know, the Road Warriors standing there. You got Ron Simmons. It, I mean, Dusty Road. It just goes on and on. And you have literally come up to the majors. Dude, I was there, and, I, you know, and it is, I'm, I'm to myself, quiet, but then I'm in the locker rooms with them, and it really just, it happens so fast, too. You know, you're there, you get dressed and match, and then, you know, what it was, Center Stage was a great facility. Uh, sort of had like a amphitheater type atmosphere, you know, real slope sides where it looked really full. The people were always real loud. They were right there in front of you, you know, and um, it seemed like they were, you know, they were amped when I was out there, you know. So came back, Eddie said, man, you got a job. And it was like, you see right now, I'm just like stunned. I can I was, still see the smile on your was, face. I was like, man, I can't believe this has happened, man. That is amazing. I'm, I want to pause for one second because you mentioned something that we didn't talk about. Your time at New Japan. It was short. One run. Yeah. What happened in New Japan? Well, what had happened, and I, 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 I didn't really realize it, was they brought me over. It was going to call me the Vicious Warrior. So um, I was brought over about three weeks early to work in their dojo. And what had happened right before that was a guy named Bruiser Brody had been killed. And he was a big guy, a big star over there. So they were going to have me replace him. So they brought me over there to just watch video after video of him. And I'm sure I'm not the only one they showed that to, you know, they were wanting that character. And it just so happens. I sort of, I guess, fit that. And I'll tell you what, that was fun. Um, I was over there again. Here it is. I don't realize anything that we talked about before about jealousy in the business. And I'm over there and don't realize I'm in, I don't really know who Bruce Brody is, you know, and um, I don't realize the position I'm taking and, I main event every night, and uh, uh, Tony Onoki, who owned the company, was he started first match and worked his way up to get to me, and then, of course, he beat me at the last show. But um, just, you know, having a good time and not really realizing the fortunate spot I was in. But I was in that spot and then um, finished up the tour. The last night, um, of course, I starved myself to death because you didn't make any what money I was making I wanted to take home. It's so expensive to eat over there. Um, so I remember the last night, they give me a tag match to be in because um, I guess sort of reward me for all the hard work. So just have fun tonight. You don't have to not have fun, but you know, I didn't have to work just where you didn't, you know, get over a little bit. And so it was me and Ron Starr against two Japanese guys, two Japanese guys. And um, over there to me, they really told me there's no psychology. You just, come in when you want to there's this language barrier so I knew that was true and so <clears throat> during the match I came in just to go over and hit the other guy in the corner and we got and at the end of the night got in the bus of course again I don't realize I'm you know people are jealous of me or mad at me about this and um, Ron Starr comes to me and says man when I'm in the match like that don't come in and interrupt my match I want you know, here it is. Hold on, hold on, dude. I said, I've watched this for six weeks. This is There's no rhyme or reason about this stuff. And now you're going to get on me the last night? <clears throat> I said, Ron, listen, I'll tell you what. We'll work this out. It will never happen again. I said, now, I, this is what happens. You don't take authority. <laughs> I should have done this. I said, uh, Ron, I'll tell you what we'll do. Next time we come over, this won't happen again because I'll be sure you're not in a match with me. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, he jumps up and swings at me with a beer bottle and I hit him between the seats and knock him out. <laughs> and uh, that's what happened, unfortunately. But I love Japan, though, man. It was, it was fun. The only thing is, you were over there, you were starving. I, was, I took a big duffel bag of uh, Vienna sausages and 
canned tuna, uh, chicken, uh, deviled ham, chicken, deviled chicken, all that crappy stuff. Now, the Vienna sausages were like go to the Japanese. They'd take me out and feed me all night and come back and go, Sid, you have sausage? Oh, yeah, man, <laughs> you want a sausage? But uh, I'd make, um, I was over there during the emperor's death, right? So for two days, we couldn't come, come out of the hotel. And we were told if we got on the streets, they would kill us, you know. So it, I was staying at what's called the Tokyo Tokyo Plaza, I think it was the name of the hotel. Um, and there's where all the dignitaries were staying. And so I was, you know, in the lobby, and every time I stood up, everybody reached over and pointed a gun at me. And everybody would sit down, sit down, <laughs> you know. Now, talking about starving over there, we were. I mean, I just couldn't afford to eat that kind of food. I'm trying to take every penny home with me. And so I, I lost a tremendous lot of weight. And so I'd go to the store and get me a, some peanut butter, which I knew, bananas and bread. I'd go down to the lobby and eat these things, and it was a big insult to the promoters. The first, first they see me losing weight. Then the fans see me in the hotel eating you know, peanut butter sandwiches. <laughs> so they'd get real upset. They'd all take me out to eat every night. And I took advantage of that, man. <laughs> I've, I've talked about being an opportunist, right? Well, I did. When I realized that worked, <clears throat> I did that every chance I could, man. Oh, yeah. I would walk around with a bunch of bananas. Just This is all I got. That's all I, and I, that's all I had. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, so let me ask you one other thing. This is a little bit off of what we were going to talk about, though. Because the one thing, I know we talked about a, an interview you did, and the person didn't know this. So I'm, I want to see if we can get some information on it. Back then, this is like the mid-'80s, what was the pay structure like? Like, how did you make money in this business? Well, uh, I remember the pay, very beginning of pay structure, say, for instance, when I was Lord Humongous. And I just knew, I mean, I think they were in the open with everyone. That's the way everyone knew. And there were just um, usually the guys on top, whoever on top were, were getting the most money. Then under the top, um, you were just in a grind. You know, meaning, you say the minimum was $50. Then most of the time, you just got the $50. And then um, the co-main event would get a little bit more. Then the main event would always get, and I remember that to be true, and I'll tell you why, because when the territory and continental was splitting up, I went up to the north end and did a few main events up there with Doug Furness. And we did a main event one time with the company was still together. And I went from $50 a night to like 500 but only for that one time. And um, But every once in a while, if you are in the right spot, you would get that extra little bit of money. Okay. And that's what it was like then? That's, yeah. Okay. Because I know it's definitely changed now. Right. And then there was also a point, too, where you would actually get part of the house take. Now, that, I'm sure, Rob, that was different than everyone. I think there's always like what they consider what, you know, called points or percentage and stuff like that. Now, when I was working for Vince, I, instead of having guaranteed money, I was on understanding that I was getting 2% of net profit. And that was after everything was taken out and then whatever the net was. So, and again, I was just assuming that I never kept up with the houses and didn't say, hey, what did we make last night? I wasn't going to do all that, but... That was supposedly the deal. Someone like me or Hogan was on. And then my understanding, everybody underneath that was under the grind. Okay. And you look at it, you go 2%. Oh, what's 2%? But you, when you have a huge chunk of change, yeah. that's a good 2%. Yeah. Okay. You get $200,000, man. You get 2% of that. Oh, and that's what I mean. You look at a check for $200,000, you are not going to question. Is it, should no. it be two hundred one? No. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. That explains a lot because I know a lot of people don't understand that. Right. So... 
So now we get back to WCW. Eddie's got you in there. You did your training. You are now officially a member of the WCW roster. Right. Now, um, this is when you came up with the name, wasn't it? Right. What it was is right before that, I was doing Lord Humongous, and, and the Japanese people wanted me to come up with the name other than Lord Humongous. And so I was coming to Memphis, back to work here in Memphis, and uh, I thought, okay, here's the time to pull out Sid Vicious. And I got a haircut in Montgomery where I was moving from back here. And I went all the way. It was a little different what I actually ended up with. It went all the way too much to real short. Took that green uh, grill, uh, that oil. Okay. Real cream. Yeah. Where it was and slicked it back real down and had the black leather vest, black leather chaps, you know, black boots, everything. So that's where Sid started. <clears throat> that's where Sid started. Okay. Very good. And, uh, the one we've done one of the episodes too, where you credit Eddie as being the one that really got you into wrestling. What did he do at this point to basically get you going? Well, this is the thing is, is when, again, I've said this a bunch of times about this position is that, you know, first I was young. I didn't have any experience when Eddie brought me in WCW. This, you said a minute ago, this is your first big time deal. And Eddie could have taken several approaches you could have said, okay, I'm going to give this guy a break, get it on your own, blah, blah, blah. Well, if he would have left that up to me, I would have never gotten there maybe. So he'd come to me and say, Sid, we're going to put you with a guy named Danny Spivey. And Danny Spivey at the time was for sure one of the top big men in the business right there with Stan Hansen, Steve Williams, Vader. They're all that big group of guys coming out of Japan and knew how to get heat, how to get over. And I uh, said, this guy's going to teach you, and you're going to one day be a really good singles wrestler. So that was the deal. So I didn't have a credit card, didn't know how to get around, you know, get, you know, rent cars or get hotels, none of that, you know. So he's going to help you learn how to do all that. So Danny Spivey also had a lot, you know, to do with me as well, uh, helping me out. So um, he set that up. And then, say, for instance, if he saw me do a spot where I pressed one from the floor and threw him over the top of the ring, you know, where – you know, me being a new guy, you're not really supposed to overstep your boundaries. So, so instead of me going Sting or Steiners or Lex, go, Sid, you know that spot you do, press people over? I go, yeah, well, do it to Lex tonight or, or do it to, you know, Rick or, you know, do it to, uh, you know. I said, well, okay, man. Now, I mean, I wanted to say that. And what he did, he gave me the green light to say that from then on. And when people don't realize that, when we've heard you got the green light, well, I did. And when you do have it, you better know how to take it you know and go with it and if you don't take advantage of it you you you're stupid yeah you don't want to abuse it either well no i do yeah i mean i do i mean the thing is that's guys that's when i tell the story this was going to be in the book is that that's how i got over i think better than anyone else did because you know when i saw an opportunity to throw something in there i wasn't supposed to uh like for instance and this is crazy i remember sid vicious sid vicious always thought of the punk rock singer a little bit with the snotting and the spitting and stuff like that. And I knew that was gross and I hated to be spit on or something like that. And I would spit on people and uh, I'd do it on the way to the ring and I'd come back and I'll never forget Oli go, man, I thought I told you not to spit on anybody. I said, well, man, I got out there and the music started playing and fans started screaming. I just started spitting, man. <laughs> and, uh, and then I'd get back and I thought I just told you not to do that. So, oh, man, did I? Oh, God, man. <laughs> Didn't even you realize. Did so I knew I was, but I was just using that for excuse like a dumb kid, you know. 
Well, at work, is that that's one of the, the key key traits of your character, right? Yes. Well, it led to this. Uh, my intro to ECW one night in Detroit, you know, being almost back to home with my grandfolks there. Um, walked into the ring, there was two fans there giving me the fist pump, and I just reached over and blew a snot rocket on them. And the crowd went one more time. <laughs> what? The guy put their face up to. <laughs> ECW is a beautiful fan, though. They, they got behind everything. They did, man. You know, for, I think I did four or five shows, but that was, every night was fun. It really was. Excellent. So now um, your first big match is at the Great American Bash, and it's like a twofer because you had the King of the Hill match. How did that start? King of the Ring. Was it King of the Ring or King of the Hill? King, I think King of the Ring, where there, was two, there were two matches. Yeah, there's two rings at the same time. Two, what it was, two battle royals. Yeah. All right, this was a good, uh, this is the thing is, you got two guys called skyscrapers, and you're trying to get them over. I mean, where we know in this business that battle royals are a hard thing, and they were only used once a year. It was to kill a town sometime. Hey, we're not coming back to this town. All right, put Sid out there, put a battle royal out, you know. <laughs> That's when we knew we were coming back, you know, so... Uh, but it was a great concept, and this is when you, I think, this is what I learned from Eddie, when you're doing things in the business that you, you look like a year down the road, like I learned how to do a strap match a year down the road. If you, do, if you brought someone started strapping them a year out, it would mean something. You don't do it one week, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, but this sort of same concept, they started about the king and ring, and they're trying to put these two guys over the, be the biggest guys in the world, and they took two, uh, two battle rolls at one time, which were pretty boring. And then made them, it came down to me and Danny. We won it, and we stood there. I think that was one of the defining moments for the skyscrapers. Absolutely. So now the skyscrapers existed before this. No, this was this. Okay. And this was Eddie Gilbert. Now, I figured it was just a uh, uh, spin off the Twin Towers. You know? Yeah. But it really, I mean, I felt like, and we faced all the tag teams. You know, the Road Warriors will be the top tag team, I think, in the world. Uh, we faced them, and, man, we, we mocked. We, we made those guys look small. So it was, um, I knew at that point, man, I was, I was getting out of Arkansas. Yeah. Well, yeah, because that match, oh, I, I rewatched it recently. Now, what happened on that, believe it or not, my back was hurting so bad that night, I could not, notice I didn't move in that match. Just the vibration of the ring was taking my breath. Really? I had a pinched nerve in my back that night for a few days, and I didn't know if I was going to be able to make the show. I couldn't bend over. I mean, it was just, everything was killing me. Really? Yeah. And see, that's one thing I've always wondered because we talked a little bit about uh, injuries and all that. The show must go on. No, it does, man. It, it goes on. Jeez. Well, that's the one thing about wrestling. You know, it's not like football. If you've got a torn Achilles tendon or not, you know, say a ruptured ACL or something, you, can, you, can't just, you can't go out there and run. But in wrestling, of course, it, that's why it's work. If, especially if someone's hurt like that, then everybody knows that and says we do nothing to take advantage of that and we help this person through this because they're helping by just being here. Exactly. You know what I mean? And that's what they did for me that night. I, don't, I, I know I couldn't have done anything. I thought it was a pretty good match. Was it? But it was, it's fun to watch because you're watching both rings. Like I was doing it to research you, but I kept watching both rings. Right. It's like, but then you got sucked into it. And now it should have been... Uh, no, sorry. Then there was a second match that night, too, where you and Danny went against... Um, and I didn't write that down. You know what? I don't remember. I saw your questions a while ago. I don't remember that. Um, you know what I'm thinking? 
I wrote down two matches. It was supposed to be two matches because the exactly. two winners. It was supposed to be, but then they saw it was us together, and they just went off the air, I think. Yeah, well, that's when Teddy comes out and uh, holds both hands up, and you guys decide to split. Yeah. Right. That's right, because it was for $50,000. Right. Yes. That was cool. So now. And there you go, too, Rob. The old battle rules and the, uh, the $50,000 battle rule, that was the big deal. Everybody went to the battle rule to see that person win $50,000, you know. Or, and there's been stories of these battle rules where, suppose the Austin Idol did one for the Fullers down in Continental and actually took the check as soon as he left and went down and cashed it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Actually, that was the next question. Was there actually a $50,000 uh, check for that? Or was it just a work? Well, I, it was, for the most part, it was supposed to have been a work. But I guess they had actually wrote that check out. And, and I don't know if this is true. This is just folklore uh, that he went down the bank, cashed it before he went home, and never came back to the territory anymore. <laughs> that's, that's a good way to win there. Yeah. <laughs> so now you've done this big pay-per-view. What kind of feedback did you get from that? Because now it's interesting to know, especially because you said you were injured. Well, first of all, I don't even, it was so, such a flash, you don't think, I remember my heart, back hurting so bad at the airport, I couldn't bend over to pick up my bags, but you get past that, Rob, so fast, and um, that match too, to then you got to realize, it's happening so fast for me. Well, that was in Baltimore, King of the Ring, and then the next night probably was Philadelphia, and here it is, I just, I've only been in Arkansas, I mean, this was boom, 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 boom. And we were doing this every day, you know, seven days a week. That's just because I have five matches for this section, but there's a ton of house shows in there. Right. This is the thing. This, is a, this would be a normal week. It'd be like seven days. And you have then two days with TVs. <clears throat> and you might work two or three times that one night because there might be two or three TVs done that night. And then sometimes uh, where well, we ran two shows on weekends, an afternoon show and then an evening show. So that's. You could put 10, 12 times a week sometimes in a week. Jeez. That's got to take a toll on people. It does take a toll. Yes. Well, now I get to ask you about this match. This first singles match against Ranger Ross. <laughs> Man, I swear you've asked. This is, I'm going to tell you. I've asked for this and I'm not prepared for it. <laughs> I've told people, give me questions I've never heard. I don't know. I remember this. But I guess it was such a bad experience for me. Maybe I am somehow blocking this it's out. It's traumatic. Yep. <laughs> now, Ranger Ross, and I'm, not, I, I'm sure this is the same guy I'm thinking about. Nice guy. Man, but he was horrible and uh, hard to deal with. Meaning, he just wasn't, it's like picking up a wet bag. You, know, you couldn't move him and stuff. It's like, I just remember being really awkward. Yes. Yeah. Well, We'll go over that one then. Because then the very next match, and that's when one of these iconic feuds started. You and Dan versus the Road Warriors. Right. What's it like stepping in the ring with the Warriors for the first time? Man, that was, um, at that moment, it was the biggest moment of my life. Just being in the same ring with those guys and stuff like that. Um, and, and two, we think of tag teams. I don't think you'll ever think of nothing but the Road Warriors. I mean, there's a lot of tag teams, don't get me wrong, but I think the top. You know, and those guys were built really well as far as, you know, you know short matches and stuff like that. <clears throat> That's the first thing I found out was they had short matches for a reason because they were really bad. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> well, they never learned anything. I mean, psychology, stuff like that. And, and two, Rob, people have this misconception about the business. Tag teams usually, 
or a novelty. Uh, they're not going to be your main event, just a rare occasion, stuff like that. The money's was always money was always in singles wrestling. I think it still is where the bigger money is. So, no, um, I remember after three minutes of those guys, it was a tough match. Really? It was just no one sold. And if you were... Were they just blown out? It, it was just, no, that was just, it was, you know, we both closed on each other five or six times and you can't really <laughs> do anything after that, you know? It's like, it was just, again, and when you're having those kind of matches on TV and they happen real quick like that and it's over, those people are conditioned for that. But when you go to, say, up in Philadelphia at the, you know, in a, at that Civic Center they used to run downtown Philly, and those people want to see wrestling, man, not that yeah. quick, one, two, three and stuff. And so they didn't know how to sell. We didn't know how to sell. It made for a bad night of wrestling. Oh, wow. But that, that started an iconic feud with you guys. Yeah, it really did. That's because I know that was one of the tag teams I always tried to watch. Right. There was the Freebirds. Freebirds, yeah. I would always say the Freebirds, too, but they weren't anything like the Road Warriors. <clears throat> and I think I liked to watch them because they were cool. They said stupid stuff. I got to see them both beat up one night in the locker room in Boston by Steve Williams. That was pretty funny. Oh, okay. I don't think that made the TV. No. <laughs> what it was, I'm not sure. I just saw that Michael Hayes and Jimmy Garvin as they were coming back to the dressing room and they were bleeding out of their ears, their nose, their mouth. And uh, I want to think it was they had giving Steve Williams a tough time by not selling or something. And, I mean, boy, I, he looked like he really let, let him have it. Oh, wow. I still like him. <laughs> um, you know what? I think we're going to end our episode right there because we're about to ask uh, about another match, and there's more to this match. So we'll leave it there, and we'll get a question. Okay. My time is and here we are with our question. Today's question comes from Randall. Now, Randall is the person who runs the Electronic Media Collective, the uh, people that are hosting the Vicious Circle. Oh, cool. Yes. So, uh, Randall, what's your question for Sid? Yeah, hey, I'm just wondering if, um, with the launch of the new podcast, uh, what is, you know, Sid, what is the key takeaway you want listeners to get from the podcast, from Vicious Circle? Well... Randall, the main thing is this. I want to hope to give them an honest view of things. Um, you know, of course, we joke around about a character called Internet Sid, and that's sort of fun to deal with. But we really want to just keep it on the level a little bit. And at the same time, have a lot of fun with the questions and talks and stuff like that. But, I, you know, just hearing a few podcasts I've heard and, the questions of you know, the comments fans call me at home sometime and ask me about and why was this said and that said and sometimes some of the things these people are saying are not only not true but they're not even the same city or they're not in the same country sometimes and so when I figured and I've told we talked about it earlier where I purposely stayed away from this platform because I didn't know anything about it and my understanding of this platform was always a dishonest platform that you really couldn't believe anybody that were on these things or anybody that was from social media. So I want to have fun with it, but I still want to give everybody a, a, a level view of things. Make more of the truth. More of the truth. And then, of course, you know, when we think about that, when I talk to my buddy Barry, you know, one of these things is this. I'll tell you the first time I got into social media, when we first started writing this book, uh, I got my first flat phone and my first uh, tablet and stuff, and, uh, I was walking through it, and the first thing I ran across was some guy making a comment about me, which I know him, and 
I always considered his friends and stuff, and he said something really weird about me, like, yeah, I could always knew that Sip was a little off or something like that. And I was like, hold on a minute. So I, I lashed out back at him, and, and Barry saw that. He goes, were you arguing with someone last night? I went, yeah. He goes, okay, get rid of that phone, which I did. <laughs> and uh, now I'm, I, and that's what we talked about. I don't want to beat anybody down or, or throw them under the bus. We talk about my first experience throwing someone under the bus, but I want to try to have some of these things people are saying. I want the people to know maybe a little bit more of the true version of things. Okay. Well, in that case, we'll get ready for our next episode. You've been listening to the Vicious Circle Podcast. Your host, Sid Udi. Co-host, J. Robert Bellamy. Additional research by Pete Marsh. The Vicious Circle Podcast was produced by Two Cousin Road Trip Media, a division of JX3 Media Productions. The intro music, Omega Amigo, was by The Shaman. All rights to the podcast are held by Sid Udi.